0: Welcome to the Millennial Therapist Podcast with Mao and Neo.
1: This podcast is hosted by two millennial therapists who are true crime, forensic psychology, and macabre obsessed.
0: This is not your typical mental health podcast where only mental health and social work topics are discussed. We dabbled in various topics from cultural humility to military mental health to ghosts to interesting ways our parents use the paranormal to
1: discipline us. El cucuy, anyone? <laughs> Why so many topics? Because we're millennials. To make things more interesting, one is an Air Force veteran and a mom of two, the other is currently serving active duty, and both are children of immigrants working to honor their ancestors.
0: What's up, homies? Thank you for joining us at MTP with Mao and Nao, your favorite millennial therapists and queens of the dark abyss. If this is your first time, welcome. Please subscribe and stay a while if you're returning. Hey, we love your face. All of them. (laughs) Every single one of them. This is Mao. Oh, no. (laughs) I read off again. This is (laughs) Mao. Oops. My it.
1: I'm keeping that in there.
0: (laughs) I want to be Mal because she's cool. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is Nao and that's Mal. Hi. Hi guys. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about the Lululemon murder. I hadn't heard about this case until Mal brought it up the other day and I was like, okay, let's see what this is about, right? So just trigger warning, this episode includes descriptions of violence and murder. So let's dig right in. Fashion yoga pants murder if you didn't think you would ever hear these words in the same sentence well, will hold on to the queens of the abyss as they tell you this wild story that sadly ended in murder so let's jump right in homies according to maryland courthouse documents on the morning of march 12th in 2011 manager rachel Ortili arrived at the lululemon store shortly before 8 a.m She noticed that the door was unlocked and initially believed that someone had arrived just before her and had forgotten to lock the door. When she entered the door, the lights were on and things were out of place, leading her to believe an altercation had occurred. Miss Rachel called out and heard someone moaning. She left the store and immediately called 911. Rachel saw a man, Ryan Hall, waiting outside the Apple, Apple store and asked him if he would accompany her into the Lululemon store. Although he did not know Miss Rachel, Mr. Hogg agreed to enter Lululemon with her. After they entered, he went to towards the back of the store by himself at Miss Rachel's request. Uh, Mr. Hogg saw a body lying face down and called out to Miss Rachel to call the police because it appeared as if someone was dead. As he walked back towards Rachel, he saw a second person who was tied up but breathing. He told Rachel that there was one person who was dead and another person who was alive and appeared to have been sexually assaulted. Rachel called the police for a second time. Several officers arrived shortly after. So when the police approached Brittany Nordwood, uh, one of the people that uh, um, Rachel and Mr. Ha had found, she appeared to be unresponsive. The police also found Jaina Murray face down in a pool of blood with no pulse. An ambulance arrived at approximately eight o'clock in the morning and nordwood was placed on a stretcher and transported to suburban hospital officer colin o'brien was working part-time for suburban hospital performing security work as a uniformed police officer on march 12. he met the ambulance carrying norwood when it when it arrived and followed her stretcher into the trauma bay officer o'brien observed a number of cuts on norwood's chest legs arms and forehead In particular, Officer O'Brien noticed a 1 to 2-inch laceration on Norwood's right hand that ran parallel to Norwood's thumb. While at the hospital, Norwood was examined by a sexual assault nurse examiner. The examination revealed no evidence of sexual assault. Over the next several days, multiple officers engaged in various conversations with Norwood. Norwood's statements to police officers during conversations were later uh, the subject of a motion to suppress. And we'll talk about this a little bit later towards the end of the episode, but just for the folks that are wondering, kind of like when I first read this from the courthouse document, what is this? A motion uh, to suppress is a motion that revolves around the exclusion of evidence from trial according to the Legal Information Institute at Cornell University. An example of a motion to suppress is where a defendant requests the court to suppress a confession by the defendant to the police that was obtained as a result of a Miranda violation. And specifically, later on, Norwood sought to suppress statements made on March 12, 14th and 16th and 18th, and the 18th.
1: Well, when they got the details from Brittany, what happened was that, Apparently, Brittany had a habit of stealing things. She would steal things from her teammates in high school and from co-workers at Lululemon. She once stole a weave from a hairdresser by getting the weave done and then saying that someone stole her wallet out of her bag. So after, she just never paid for it. I mean, I've never had a weave done, but I know that shit is expensive, so that's wild we have to think about that like the the gall on someone to be like yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead and do my hair like spend hours and mad money on your end to put a weave in and then not pay for it like that's fucking rude Mm-mm. and this was in the dc area i think right oh but Beth- bethesda bethesda maryland so the managers at the Lululemon store were well aware of Brittany's stealing tendencies. They were trying to get her fired from Lululemon at the time of the murder, but it was really hard to just fire someone, so they had to literally catch her in the act of stealing. And unfortunately, it was Jaina who caught Brittany stealing a pair of yoga pants. The way it went down was that Brittany called Jaina and agreed to meet Brittany at the store. Once Brittany and Jaina met at the store, I guess a violent encounter occurred, which resulted in Brittany murdering Jaina. Employees at the Bethesda Apple Store, which was right next to the Lululemon Store, heard noises coming from the store shortly after 10 p.m. and they said that they heard sounds of dragging, grunting, thudding, and high pitched squealing. One Apple Store employee asked a security guard to check on the disturbance and spoke to other manager and spoke to another manager about the noises and they continued to hear noises including screaming and yelling and the employee heard one female voice which sounded hysterical and the other female voice saying talk to me don't do this talk to me what's going on the employee heard additional screaming yelps yells and then heard a voice say god help me please help me She did not believe the voice pleading to God was the same that had said, talk to me, don't do this. And then the employee left um, shortly after 11 p.m. Making this more tragic, on the night of the murder, Jaina was not supposed to be working. She was actually covering a shift for another manager. Why did Brittany murder Jaina? I don't know. I mean, supposedly, they say, like, it was because she caught her in the act of stealing the the yoga pants. But to hear the extent of the murder is, like, really... Jaina was stabbed 331 times, essentially. She had 331 wounds when she was murdered with five different weapons. That is intense and scary during that March 12th interview which was one of the interviews that they tried to suppress that um, Neo had mentioned Detective Deanna Mackey of the Montgomery County Police Department met with Brittany at Suburban Hospital at 1025 a.m. for approximately 45 to 50 minutes. After her conversation with Brittany, Detective Mackey went to the Lululemon store before returning to the hospital at 235 to speak with Brittany further. Detective Mackey viewed Brittany as a victim at this time and spoke with her to get more information to, de- to develop a suspect, so essentially, you know, investigating. So at this time, Brittany spoke freely and responded appropriately to Dr. Mackey's questions during both sessions. Brittany told the detective that she and Jaina had been attacked by two men wearing masks. She described the attack in specific detail telling the detective that she had been raped and sexually assaulted with a clothing hanger. In addition to speaking with Brittany, while at the hospital, Detective Mackey spoke with various medical professionals. So then there was another March 14th interview that Neo will, will talk about. On March 14th, at approximately 8 o'clock at night, Detective Dimitri
0: Reuben and Detective James Drury met with Norwood at her residence. The detectives were wearing plain clothes attire. The meeting had been arranged through, the, uh, through telephone conversations uh, with, with her family members. Uh, the detective's uh, purpose in missing Norwood was to introduce themselves and inquire as to whether Norwood remembered any additional details of the incident. So this is exactly pretty much what's included in the, in the Maryland courthouse documents. The document goes on to state that Detective Rubin testified that he still considered Norwood a victim during the March 14th interview. So when the detectives arrived, they, they had met several of Britney's family members. Uh, Britney emerged and the detectives introduced themselves to her and, told, and informed her that they wanted to see if she had remembered any other information. At Britney's suggestion, uh, the detectives and Britney went downstairs to her living area and sat around a table in the living room area. Britney recounted her story regarding the events of March 11 through the 12th, um, while the detectives took and recorded a portion of the interview. And um, one of the footnotes states that an approximately four-minute segment of the interview was recorded. The recorded portion included an explanation of when the two men entered the Lululemon store and what occurred thereafter. Uh, Norwood explained how Murray was struck by one man and she was attacked by another. Norwood told the detectives that the man who attacked her was wearing black clothing, a ski-type mask and gloves, and that based upon his voice, uh, Brittany thought that the attacker was in his probably mid 20s and, and was Caucasian. She told the detectives that he was approximately 5 feet uh, 5 inches with a medium belt. Brittany told detectives that she heard her attacker unzip his pants, and um, Brittany described Murray's attacker as approximately 6 feet tall with an average built. According to Brittany, uh, this person was also wearing black clothing and ski-type mask and based upon his voice, Brittany also thought that the other individual was Caucasian. The atmosphere of the of the conversation was described as very casual. Um, Brittany was very coherent and cooperative. Uh, Brittany told the detectives that she was sexually assaulted. Brittany explained that the attacker told her that the only reason she was not killed was because she was fond to bleep. Um, So Norwood said that one attacker pushed her onto Murray's body. Um, Brittany told detectives that the attackers knew her name and address, which she presumed the attackers found on Comcast and Washington Gaspels, which had been in her purse. Norwood uh, also told the detectives that the attacker swore at her and called her a dirty slut and a racial epithet while sexually assaulting her. Detective Reuben testified that Norwood became emotional during the conversation about the sexual assault. Brittany had tears in her eyes and looked down a lot, but continued to talk to the detectives. At the end of the interview, Brittany spoke with the detectives about what she was going to do in the future. Brittany told the detectives that her family wanted her to move back to Seattle, but that she had been recently offered a new job in Bethesda, which she planned to begin after she recovered. The detectives recommended that Brittany inform her family members that the attackers knew her address. Um, Brittany went out to tell her family members in front of the detectives, and Detective Rubin testified that the family members were very, very concerned. The detectives advised the family members to contact the police if they saw anything suspicious. Detective Rubin testified that at the end of the March 14 interview, he still viewed Norwood
1: as a victim. So then, the March 16th interview. The detectives met with Brittany a third time. Brittany went to the police headquarters at the request of Detective Drury. By this time, Detective Drury had begun to view Brittany as a suspect. Detective Drury asked Brittany to come to the headquarters to provide elimination fingerprints and hair samples. He or she testified at the hearing on the motion to suppress that norwood was asked to come in both to provide elimination prints and because it was also a ruse to get her to come in to talk to detectives Ooh, you sneaky motherfuckers um britney arrived approximately 5 p.m with two of her siblings and her siblings left to get something to eat and britney was asked to sit in the interview room The interview was video recorded and took place in the police headquarters interview room. So the interview room had two doors, one which was often left open and the other was occasionally open. During the first hour of the interview, Brittany spoke informally with the detective while waiting for evidence technicians to take hair samples, pictures, and fingerprints. Brittany again described being attacked by the two assailants. When asked whether she knew the type of car Jaina drove, she replied that she didn't know. At the end of the interview, Brittany left the station with her family. And the following day, Brittany's brother, Chris, and her sister, Marissa, contacted the detectives via phone. Her siblings explained that Brittany had been withholding information from the detectives because she was afraid that the suspects would harm her. Specifically, one of Brittany's siblings told Detective Drury that the attackers had forced her to move Jana's car. Okay, now the lies are coming out. An additional interview then was, was scheduled at her sister's request. Oh, shit. For March 17th, 10 a.m. March 18th interview, Brittany arrived to the police headquarters accompanied by her sister and brother. Brittany went to the interview room with Detectives Drury and Reuven. At the beginning of the interview, Brittany discussed her plans for the future, including the possibility of moving back to her hometown of Seattle with her brother. Brittany told Detective Drury that her only concern with respect to moving to Seattle was that she wanted to be reachable by police during the investigation. Unprompted, Brittany initiated a conversation regarding Jana's car, saying, Alright, I'm here because... Britney told detectives that prior to the sexual assault, the attackers made her move Jana's car to a different parking lot. According to Britney, the attackers told her they would be watching her the entire time and threatened to kill her if she talked to anyone. She explained that she went alone to move the car. And while moving the car, Britney saw a police officer in a patrol car, but did not flag the officer or attempt to contact him because she was too afraid. When asked why she returned to Lulu Lemon Store after moving Jana's car instead of driving away and attempting to call the police, she explained she was afraid for her life and that the attackers knew where she lived. At one point during the interview, she expressed, we've been over this. Detective Jury responded, yeah, but every time we go over it, something else comes out or changes a little, so I'm just trying to get as straight as possible. Eventually, Detective Drury told Brittany that he did not believe her story and explained to her why the evidence demonstrated that her story was a lie. Brittany's siblings were then brought into the interview room, and Detective Drury explained to them why he believed Brittany had murdered Jaina. Ultimately, Brittany was placed under arrest later that day. Dang. So, following a six-day
0: trial... Oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was just gonna say, it's interesting that she said that they were like watching her and maybe I don't know if I'm kind of looking too much into it, but if she was being threatened with her life, wouldn't they threaten to kill Jaina if she didn't make it
1: back with her car or Yeah, whatever? Yeah, like putting someone's life on your hands like that. Yeah, exactly. I imagine she thought back and was like, oh shit, maybe there, I bet you there was a cop and she was trying to get her story straight just in case that patrol cop Um, ID'd her. And if they did the DNA testing. I wonder if she would've got away regardless. If she didn't say that. I'm not
0: sure, but it sounds like she kind of put her foot in her mouth anyways, because the detectives were like, there's something fishy about this.
1: Oh yeah, she... Well, and then also, like, faking her own shit you know or like being there like not i'm not telling anybody how to murder but a lot of times when you stage the scene and then have yourself part of that crime when you're this when you're the perpetrator it like doesn't really pan out it seems like a hundred out of a hundred they get caught from what i've seen uh please reference back to jennifer pan's episode it didn't work out yes yeah like just i mean don't murder period but uh don't don't do it <laughs> I have nothing else. So, following a six day trial, Brittany was found guilty. Wait, hold on. It was only six days? Damn, that's short. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because it's like the preponderance
0: of evidence is um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of out there. They have like that, that employee from Apple, right? That had like kind of surrounding evidence, right? And then they yeah. were kind of kind of building like this whole uh trying to catch mm-hmm. her in the act of stealing because she has some history behind some suspicions motive, yeah, and then she doesn't even have uh her story straight away or lined up, and the detectives caught right. that on, so um at that point, it kind of sounds like they had enough to say like, hey."
1: to charge yeah we we know you did this Mm -hmm. yes she was found guilty of first-degree murder she was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole for her crime judge robert greenberg who sentenced britney said that he went home and mimed stabbing something 331 times he said that britney had ample opportunity to stop he also called out the employees of the apple store next to Lululemon. lemon at the time of the murders, you can see security footage of employees listening and not calling. Reportedly, they heard Jaina begging God for help. <sighs> see, that's tricky because I mean, it goes to kind of like what it, that—the the Genevieve case of when that woman Genevieve was sexually assaulted and raped back in New York City. That they they use that they use her her example all the time for bystander. Mm intervention where like you know but we should do a case of that too because or an episode of that because there was so much more to why people didn't respond to that and it was because that was what post second world war 2 a lot of them were immigrants poor immigrants so there wasn't a lot of trust in the police you know um and I think there was a lot of, like, black and brown um, tenants, so they didn't want to involve, essentially. And then it goes into, like, the group think of, like, or somebody else is going to take, you know, take charge of that situation. So I wonder if that was essentially what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. Like, somebody should have just called 911, but, like, I wonder why they didn't. Yeah. If it was that loud.
0: Yeah, I think that's... Uh... And we weren't there to say like uh exactly what happened, right? But I think you're right, where mm-hmm. when people kinda are bystanders and it, it kinda hits them of like, is this something that I need to do or um yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just complicated case I and mean, it's that overall. It is. Um, and so I I get what they're trying to say though is like you heard something, you saw something, we all have responsibility to do something about mm-hmm. it but not not
1: everything's cut and clear all the time. Mhm. Right, and I think this was in Bethesda. So it's Bethesda's not too, I don't think a high crime area, but like what if people were from the DC area where it is higher crime, right? So that's that's how they're raised that they you don't say shit, you don't do, you don't involve the police, right? Like you're like, "Oh shit, maybe it's just people fighting." Um and they're staying out of it. So yeah, I think there's there's different reason reasonings to that um so she essentially so Brittany is uh is currently incarcerated in the maryland correctional institute for women a maryland appeals court affirmed her first degree murder conviction and rejected her claim that she was improperly questioned by detectives after she viciously attacked her coworker. worker she then ran out of direct appeal options in 2015 so she from my understanding sounds like can't appeal anymore. So that's essentially her conviction.
0: Alright, so in one of the articles from Life Daily where we pulled some of this information, uh, there's a previous episode on the pod where we have uh, our good friend Odette join, join us and we talked about the horoscope and the zodiac mm-hmm. signs and even we talked about like uh, forensic like astrologers. And one of the things that the um, article included was a uh, Phoenix Normel, Sorry if I mis- uh, mispronounced that. A psychic advisor um, was asked to make a case analysis, and this is what she has to say: I feel like there have, there may have been more of a motif to Murray's murder than this article, uh, than the article suggests, and this is maybe going back to uh, what Life Daily had, had published. Uh, Perhaps Norwood was envious of Murray's success, or maybe she felt like the work environment was unfair. Whatever the case, it would have been much easier for Norwood to simply quit her job at Lululemon, removing herself from the situation while avoiding being fired. There are several signs that you should quit your job as described in the article. Hating your boss or co workers is one of the major indicators, which may have prevented the escalation at Lululemon. Ultimately, removing herself from the situation may have completely prevented it, um, all, all of this, um, and so. I'm curious to see if there was, like, multiple encounters now in in which she felt, like, things were kind of not going well at the store altogether. So, um, more like interpersonal conflict.
1: Right. And I have that in regards to the toxic culture of Lululemon as a business model and the day-to-day store culture. So we didn't acknowledge this earlier, but Brittany Norwood is a black woman and Jaina is a white woman. So I think it's important to also identify that because once we go into the toxic culture, I wonder if Brittany was very affected by that toxic culture and again not justification of murder ever but just well this is why we're here and this is why you're listening thank you um is to understand <laughs> these actions and i wonder if her being a black woman in this type of toxic positivity and you know this fake inc- inclusivity type of environment affected her mentally so just wanted to make sure we discussed that Nail will talk more about Brittany's mental health or what history we have of it and her patterns of lying and stealing.
0: We didn't necessarily find like a, a, a psych eval um, that might have been published with the court or something like that. We kind of just pulled from articles, up anywhere where we can find any kind of quotes. And so Brittany's defense attorney argued that that this was not premeditated murder, but rather an undiagnosed mental disorder as no one with a sound mind could commit such atrocities and leave a sloppy trail of evidence behind. This is coming from the defense attorney. However, in the interviews that were completing with Brittany and her father, there is no mention of brain injuries, medical conditions, psychological trauma, or emo- emotional episodes that may have triggered the brutal attack on 30-year-old Jaina Murray. I think the most that they found is like possibly like a knee injury in the past, um, but really nothing related to her to her uh, mental well-being. And so this what comes next is from a Washington Post um, article that states that Norwood's attorneys argued that she is, and I quote, neither a calculating killer or a deranged psychopath. And they also argue that she did not meet the legal definition of insane. Um, A psychiatric evaluation of Brittany done at her attorney's request and filed with the court says that she has a case of major depression that would benefit from medication. So that's as far as we got as far as information at the time that she was evaluated. Um, But we really don't have anything else, like any personality testing or any, like, clinical findings
1: or anything like that. That's, again, very hard to, to paint a bigger picture. To understand more so of, like, was there something in her history that made her more prone to these explosive aggression? Because 331 wounds, I don't, like... I have hated people with a passion. <laughs> thirty three hundred thirty one is a lot to stab somebody. Like you a bitch gets tired. Like was she not tired? Like she was in some rage, right? Like th- so there there has to be an underlying something going on. And with five weapons, with five different. Was she absolutely. grabbing
0: them one after the other? or like, and I wonder, uh, it's sad to think, but for how long? poor jaina was brutalized and violently murdered because i don't think that there's mention as far as like yeah. times or things like that
1: no but the timeline based on like the apple employees i had to be maybe like within an like an, maybe an hour which is like intensely long for a murder mm-hmm. i mean i actually saw some of the pictures doing the research i i'm not one to look at pictures they didn't have her body, thank goodness, on there, but it was, like, the, cr- the crime mm. scene, and it was bloody. Like, it was really fucked. And I think it was in different locations, too, because if you think about it, like, she wasn't stabbing, essentially, in specific organs, so I think that's why she was able to, like, have so many wounds. I, th- I think she was chasing her around the fucking store, and this is just speculation, like, I, but I think, like... Yeah, because and she it was with weapons or excuse me instruments that was found in the store, so it wasn't like a kitchen knife that like essentially was that lethal. She was use she she beat she beat her pretty much,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it wasn't even three hundred thirty one stab wounds. It was like three hundred thirty one wounds. So she like succumbed to those wounds. Mm-hmm. Fuck, it's awful. <laughs> um. And so
0: we, we looked into other articles, and um, there's one from Macab Daily, and um, it looks like the, you know in this part they kind of talk a little bit about the history of lying and stealing. So according to this article, um, Brittany had a pretty good upbringing. Uh, she was a skilled soccer player. Her position, uh, she was a defender in Federal Way, Washington, to which the Seattle Times printed her name twice in a list of all league teams. She actually went on to play for Stony Brook University in New York, and she was named defensive most valuable player for one season. Um, the police then discovered some of her former teammates remember that Brittany uh, for more than just her athletic abilities. Uh, one former teammate recalled that Brittany had a reputation among her team- teammates as a liar and as a thief. Other girls on the team had also uh, known uh, had known her long enough Uh, Sorry, other girls on the team that had known her long enough had told investigators that things would go missing and the girls on the team would tell each other, watch your locker, keep it locked. Um, She's been known to steal things. The the accusations of theft would eventually cost, bringing her spot on the team and the coach dropped her due to the accusations. Um, The suspicions of theft uh, didn't stop after college though. After her arrest uh, for Janus murder... An old hairstylist of Britney's, which is what we were talking about when we first started, claimed that she had failed to pay for a full weave of important hair. So um, the stylist had written on face on a Facebook post that at the end of her service, Britney claimed that someone in the salon had stolen her money out of her wallet. The hairstylist was so upset that something like that could have happened at, at her place of work, so she immediately told her not to worry about payment. As time went on though, Britney called her to say that she would bring the money owed for the hair in a later time. She never showed up with the money and later blocked the the hairstylist from the Facebook page. The owner of the salon validated the stylist's claims, noting that Britney caused the scene and tried to blame one of her employees. The owner recalled Britney had claimed that there was more than $1,000 stolen from a purse that she left in the salon's waiting area even though there had been a receptionist sitting at her post through the entire employment and no one uh, touched the purse end of quote um or end of article paraphrasing <laughs> the most interesting thing that they found through the interviews though is um they they found out that during the investigation of britney's char- character was that the store manager rachel mentioned to the police that Jana and britney didn't really get along that well Brittany was suspected of stealing from the store and from other co workers, and the concerns uh, were enough to call a meeting between the managers and keyholders to talk about the accusations against Brittany. This meeting concluded with the agreement that whatever whatever or whoever found her stealing again
1: would report her immediately and would submit her for termination. See, th- this is. I mean, that gives more motive that she didn't like Jaina um, or that they didn't get along. But for them to, for them to have a meeting between managers and key holders to discuss that against Brittany, like, was that ever addressed with her? Like, how are they handling this shit? How are they, were they making it a, a toxic, like gaslighty environment for her? Like, even if she was guilty, you can address things with your employees, and you can also essentially let people go for other things, right? Like, you don't, you don't have to catch someone stealing if she if she was being whatever this toxic person or this awful employee they could have had means to fire her like you're not a fucking union job or whatever like you're fucking lululemon stop your shit. So, I don't know. I wonder that that, like, set her off also of them being super shady and, like, trying to be, I don't know, hush-hush about things. Maybe. And
0: also wondering, like, most retail stores have cameras. So, that was, like, the suspicion. um Who's running the inventory? Who's running, I guess? You're this high-class-ass $300 pair yeah. of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. So, then, there's, you got a little bit of pattern of, like, lying yeah. and stealing and um, that by secondary sources, like people that feel that stuff had gone missing and they might have potentially mm. felt that um, they had a— uh, not that they witnessed it, but they, they, they essentially just had suspicions. We were able to also find um, another article that talked about history of intimate partner violence. And so um, I, fu- I found this through NBC Washington. It states that Norwood's ex-boyfriend, Mari Branch III, told the DC court that she had broken into his home, stolen his cell phone, and on occasion, physically assaulted him. The paper goes on to write that Branch told DC court officials that Brittany needed anger management and a psychiatric evaluation. Branch had verbalized his fears for his safety, according to the filing. Branch said in court filings that he had broken up with Brittany in February of 2007, but that she continued to call him and leave him messages. He filed a complaint with the DC court's domestic violence unit when he said Norwood had used a security code to sneak into his home and steal his new girlfriend's cell phone in October of 2007. <laughs> oh shit. That's, you know, she she wasn't wow, you usually you hear about somebody hacking into somebody's Facebook account, but uh, that's a that's a whole another level of <laughs> harassment and abuse. That's like Jody
1: Arias status. Oh man, this which Jody Arias stabbed Travis how many times? Like that's some and that was isolated, but you know we saw the patterns like right. And, and with, even with Jody, was
0: there, um, I know that they talked a lot about emotional uh, abuse, uh, but did, did anybody recount like if there was any physical abuse that we happen to know of,
1: aside from like... Mm, I think um, just, not just, it was solely the emotional and I think the, the sexual like extort, extortion and, not extortion, you know what I mean, but like with Travis. That type of like guilt, yeah, but not not physical that I know of, gotcha. and that's only that we know of,
0: right? Because there's a lot of things that only Jody exactly. and, um, unfortunately, Travis, the Jody and Travis would know. Um, but mm-hmm. going coming back to this. On court papers, Maury said that Brittany seems not to understand that the relationship is over. So a judge ordered Brittany to stay away from Maury and his new girlfriend who had also filed a complaint. But two weeks after the judgment, the pair caught her following them in her car and filed another complaint. Brittany was ordered back into court for a contempt hearing. However, after asking for several postponements, she, she just never showed up. So a bench warrant was issued in May to th- May of 2008. Um however just you know a year after it expired. There might be some instances in history of aggression with her and we're kind of very limited in her upbringing and her former experiences and social um, mm-hmm. a lot of things are missing past relationships. Yeah. yeah. Not all instances of aggression and violence or intimate partner violence were escalate to actual murder. Um, the risk is higher, um, but that's not a, like, a for sure predictor of saying, like, this person's going to go off to become a mm-hmm. murderer.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the the reason why we like having these conversations and processing these cases is because so many times we're like, holy shit, the isolated murders are always the ones that really intrigue me because a serial killer, it makes more sense to me now with the compulsion and their repressedness, but they're having a need they need to meet right with the murder or the assault or whatever but when it comes with this one-off murder of britney's and then like jody arias where it was just this one time just explosion of aggression anger i in my mind is like where could this have been prevented where could this person needed the support so that's why i wanted to include the lululemon's work environment and the founder chip wilson's reputation and how he created this really like shitty company and i've never bought just because that show was so expensive but then when i learned more about this it was actually through my favorite murder podcast they had covered this so i was like holy shit this is insane so so when we look into more of that I think it helps us kind of create more insight. So for a company that preaches yoga, mindfulness, empathy, and inclusion, it appears that Lululemon has a track record of choosing questionable leaders and being straight trash. (laughs) Uh, That's my words. Their company's out-of-touch price points, cult-like atmosphere, and bizarre training and goal-making practices for retail associates make me believe that... This might have been not the healthiest environment for someone of Britney's mental capacity or anybody else. Even if you were you didn't have any of those like pre, if you had any of those other histories, but we all don't like toxic work environments. Let's talk a little bit about Trip Wilson, Lululemon's founder. He became infamous for saying just the dumbest shit about women's bodies. So I have just a quick list of quotes that he said that kind of gives you a little more insight about this fool. In regards to, I guess there was some complaints about Lululemon's yoga pants being too sheer. So the women were mooning everybody like when we were actually using it for yoga. So he commented on sheerness during a Bloomberg TV Street Smart program on national television and it's recorded he said frankly some women's bodies just don't actually work for the yoga pants it's more really about the rubbing through the thighs and how much pressure there is over a period of time and how much they use it so body shaming women for the sheerness and there were complaints about the pants pilling like if you're paying over a hundred dollars for Anything, the quality should be on point, and your shit was pilling. He blamed it on the women, and then he got called out. So he made awkward ass apology. You can see it on YouTube, and I guess it was on Lululemon's Facebook page. I don't know if it's still there. So this motherfucker goes into a fifty second apology video, teary eyed and like sad, and he (laughs) he apologized not to the customers he may offended, but to his own employees. He said, and I quote, I'm sad for the people at Lululemon who I care so much about that have really had to face the brunt of my actions. I take responsibility for all that has occur- occurred and the impact it has had on you. I'm sorry to have put you all through this. Okay. You're stupid. Like, for real? For real? <laughs> Your employees. You're He's gonna talking apologize. about like it's more really about the
0: rubbing through the thighs and how much pressure there is over you mean the pressure to be women and fit all these gender freaking impossible standards? Is that the pressure that you're talking about?
1: Right. right. Get out of here. Oh, there's more. I just, I just there's can't. more. <laughs> We're all oh. not done yet. While he was still acting CEO, he made comments in 2005, which was about like six, seven years since he created Lululemon, so he was like really starting to hit the the peak of it. He said that it was funny that Japanese people couldn't pronounce the L in Lululemon. It's funny to watch them try and say it, he told Canada's National Post business magazine when asked about the Japanese pronunciation of his company's name. Although he denies saying it, but fuck you, guy. And also, I heard on Illuminati's channel, she's an awesome anti-MLM and does a lot of deep dive channel on YouTube. She mentioned that he also said that he used that word, Lululemon, to then keep the Japanese from taking it into their market. So, you know, something like that. I don't know, don't quote me, but he's, fuck you, guy he sucks another thing he said was about the rise of divorce in a blog post in 2009 titled how lululemon came into being he wrote the pill immediately transformed the sex lives of anyone under the age of 40 particularly teenagers what are you talking about Women's lives changed immediately. Take the microphone away from this man. I know. Women's lives changed immediately. Men's lives didn't change, however. They continued to search for a stay-at-home wife like their mother's. Ew! Barf. Barf. Women... (laughs) Men didn't know how to relate to the new female. Thus came the era of divorces, he wrote. (laughs) I hate him. (laughs) What? What? You're a fucking idiot, dude. Oh my god, you did not just say that. (laughs) What? Oh, so it's women's fault that divorces happen. How about, um, you don't have to conform to societal pressures to be married anymore, you dumb fuck. Men don't know how to relate to the new female that's fighting oppression and patriarchy. Fuck this little dick, dude. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so triggered. Uh, Oh, 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 you thought that was bad. Breast, he said. He talks about breast cancer and the pill. In the same blog post in 2009, Wilson described what he believed was a link between breast cancer and birth control. And I quote: "Breast cancer also came into prominence in the 1990s." Are you a scientist? Do you know that? I suggest this was okay. Oh, okay. I suggest this was due to the number of cigarette smoking power women who were on the pill. (laughs) initial concentrations of hormones in the pill were very high and taking on the stress previously left to men in the working world Wilson wrote ultimately, Lululemon was formed because female education levels breast cancer, yoga, athletics and the desire to dress feminine came together all at one time Lululemon saw the opportunity to make the best technological advanced components for the supergirl market end quote this has got some like Keith Vernieri Nexium bullshit all over it. Like, you're gonna sit there and shit on women, but then be like, oh, but I made the market for the super girl. <sighs> uh, yeah, so he ended up stepping down in 2014 after making those remarks about women's bodies being the reason why his leggings are trash. So, goodbye. A insider article had an interview in April 2021 describing Lululemon's cult-like work atmosphere still really present in the store after more than a dozen current former employees said that the retail company puts too much emphasis on Employees to be happy go lucky to match the brand's ideals that can be described as toxic levels of positivity. Toxic positivity is when somebody tries to override the other person's actual emotions about a situation. Bianca L. Rodriguez, LMFT, a licensed therapist in LA, tells Ladder's article. So it negates the other person actually having any feelings that may be quote unquote negative. Toxic positivity is like putting a bear costume on your dog and be like, it's a bear, but it's actually a dog. It's trying to dress it up without doing any actual work to investigate the process feeling underneath it, right? So it's, gratitude can be toxic positivity as in like, oh, but feel grateful that, you know, somebody else has it worse than you and... You know just don't think about what bothers you so you know there's an extent to how that is helpful when you're doing the work but when you are invalidating someone else's feelings and then in return invalidating your experience and feelings that is where it becomes toxic and really unhelpful for your mental well-being so that is essentially being pushed in in their their workplace and which is like so ironic, right? Because it's supposed to be this inclusive mindfulness, and we'll talk more about how this mindfulness just field has been very whitewashed and just capitalized. But so, why has toxic positivity been on the rise? So, Bianca Rodriguez mentions that increase in spirituality and mindfulness could be to blame or the reason. Um, A lot of people don't really understand the deeper mechanisms of spirituality and mindfulness. And a great article by The Guardian called The Mindfulness Conspiracy, Capitalist Spirituality, really talks about it. So mindfulness is being colonized. We are seeing it taken from the ancient Buddhist Hindu practices and being used as this capitalistic venture and ways to sell to other people, right? So it's being used as nothing more than a basic concentration training and being stripped of the original Buddhist teachings on ethics that accompany it as well as its liberating aim to dissolve attachment to a false sense of self while enacting compassion for all other beings. So when it's being taught through a Buddhist practice lens, it's essentially like mindfulness is a light of awareness you have on a situation, so then you can take the proper response and steps to work through that, right? Like, so if you're becoming triggered by a racist remark, yes, you're going to be mindful of that racist remark and then smash <laughs> colonization, right? Like, you're going to use that to, you're going to be judgmental and still acknowledge what's going on where this, like, false mindfulness bullshit that's being spewed out is like, well, you can control how you feel, so you know just just work on how you respond to other situations and just let it go just let it go and that that is toxic positivity and that is what's being used to gaslight really people's situations especially in like very political fields or p- political realms and situations when you are using it the way it is taught in the buddhist traditions right a truly revolutionary movement would seek to overturn this dysfunctional system think liberation oriented we're using mindfulness to overturn the systems that don't work for us anymore rather than just changing your shit so the neoliberal order has imposed itself by stealth in the past few decades by widening inequality in pursuit of corporate wealth so stress has been pathologized and privatized, and the burden of managing it is being outsized to individuals. So it's kind of like what we're seeing now, of like, I'm not burnt out because I didn't take enough breaks. I'm burnt out because the system isn't allowing me to take enough breaks. The system is expecting too much shit from us. Now they've used stress as a way to provide guilt of like, oh, you feel stressed? Well, here's, you know, a fucking initiative to do and yay, rather than acknowledging that it's a collective reasoning. So hence they use a mindfulness step to save the day, right? mindfulness is really used to depoliticize stress if we're unhappy about being employed losing our health insurance and seeing our children have massive debt through college loans it's our responsibility to learn to be more mindful and that's where the shit is insidious john cabot zinn who is like this quote-unquote father of mindfulness it's very white man you see him all the time. He, has not, he did not create mindfulness. He just capitalized on it and created all these trainings and blah, blah, blah. He assures us that happiness is an inside job that simply requires us to attend to the present moment mindfully and purposely without judgment. Another vocal promoter of meditative practice, the neuroscientist Richard Davison contends that well-being is a skill that can be trained like working out one's bicep at the gym. The so-called mindfulness revolution meekly accepts the dictates of the marketplace, guided by the therapeutic ethos aimed at enhancing the mental and emotional resilience of individuals. It endorses neoliberal assumptions that everyone is free to choose their responses, manage negative emotions, and flourish through various modes of self-care. Framing what they offer in this way, most teachers of mindfulness rule out a curriculum that critically engages with causes of suffering and the structures of power and economic systems of capitalist society my rant is over (laughs) so pretty much like this very fake facade mask of mindfulness and yoga i think we're seeing a big push away from that when the people that are becoming more aware of like this is not Genuine and true to what the authentic teachings are. Like we're starting to see that shit being pushed is all for capital gain and it doesn't mean shit. And that's why me as a private practice therapist really works on that liberation-oriented care. Don't get me wrong, I love mindfulness. I love meditation. I'm all about that life. But it is a tool to be able to regulate ourselves so we then can continue to address the bigger systemic oppressions. I felt like this was like a really perfect time to bring that aspect of, you know, who Nao and I are in acknowledging that there's so much more than just taking a deep breath and, you know, labeling your emotion. Because then, essentially, when you're doing that all the time, then you're the one that is responsible, quote unquote, for what happens to you. So, yeah. The next piece is the actual testimonies of some of the employees that worked in lululemon so nay if you don't mind finishing up with this
0: and so when they had come up with this interview like it states it was several former employees or current employees at that time had raised some concerns in regards to the culture of the company so emma a former sales associate at one of the company stores in canada So she had told the folks writing this article that her manager started making remarks about her mannerisms and pretty much telling her that she wasn't smiling enough while working on the floor. This turned into a reoccurring instance when her manager would hold regular meetings with her about her lack of peppiness. Yeah, we're both making the same face as in like, what the heck?
1: (laughs) I wish a motherfucker
0: would. And, and I think, it, like, bottom line, like, a man is never told that. Like, hey, can you be more friendly? Can you smile a little bit more? Right. Can you exude yes. that feminine energy that people, for some reason, mm-hmm. feel like it's related to just friendliness and warmthness? Because guess what? Um,
1: <laughs> You're making wait. people uncomfortable by not being happy. No, but that's a good point because a lot of the women that worked in the Lululemon and all stores across wherever it was predominantly white women too so that toxic positivity and like being approachable makes it more comfortable for people to you know come into the store supposedly
0: yeah and i think there's like an aspect like you know we get it You work customer service it's a very people job place but to kind of be singled out like that that's something else And so another employee, her name's Erin, she worked at a Minnesota store and said that the company made it more difficult for minorities to feel like their voice mattered. She goes on to say that I think they definitely don't appreciate all types of personalities. Erin is an Asian American woman who worked for Lululemon and also said, quote goes on to say, and it's harder for minorities to feel like they have a voice during training when they're constantly being talked over. Another employee named Davi backed the claim saying that employees were generally white able-bodied for the most part fit-looking women with with some male co-workers. Other workers told the folks from the article that workers who didn't fit that mold often had difficulty fitting in. The workers also said that they were heavily encouraged to work out daily and often they felt pressure to share their personal problems with their boss. And nobody should feel that way. Ew, for real. There's a professional boundary, Mm -hmm. and for all our folks listening out there, um, anybody that makes you feel uncomfortable (laughs) and is often inquiring about your personal life, that's manipulative and it's gaslighting. Because Mm -hmm. more often than not, that's a pattern of behavior that they later utilize Mm -hmm. to use it in any way that they feel is their advantage. It's not in your head
1: right and you don't owe them shit you, you don't owe them any of your personal details that has nothing to do with it that power differential is what they're they're really using to get that from you and you still have every human right even if hr doesn't back you up but you as a human being does not have to entertain that shit at all and regardless of age i think we have some some younger listeners too so you you yes you listening <laughs> you have every right to set that boundary with your boss with your co-workers with customers with mm-hmm. anybody like fuck the customer is always right because uh, that doesn't mean that your safety and your personal comfort comes last so right until a mouse sent you <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> and like
0: i said again we get it um if you need help and support like definitely if you have that kind of relationship where the professional boundaries are respected regardless definitely but it doesn't sound like that's what's, a ha- what's happening here and then it goes on to say that Rat once reported that Lululemon had a boys' club culture that was spearheaded by then CEO Laurent Pat P-
1: Devin? Devin. maybe it sounds very French.
0: <laughs> yeah, Pot Devin, Who had a years-long relationship with an employee. Pot Devin had been dating a designer at the company who employees said um, that she received special treatment from dating the CEO including receiving preferential treatment like receiving extended time off and first-class travel. Pod Devin's girlfriend also had increased leverage that left employees feeling unhappy. Pod Devin ended up resigning for failing to meet the company's standards of conduct and specifically failing to, and I quote, exemplify the highest level of integrity and respect for one another in 2018. Like we said, we don't have a lot of specifics. We have just a lot of speculation, but... If we kind of take into account everything we talked about, and maybe like the lead up to the escalation, uh, this might be some contributors and signs that mm-hmm. there, there was something not right. Sadly, Jaina succumbed to the to the injuries, she passed away, and mm-hmm. achieved from what it sounds like we were saying earlier, she
1: was just brutalized by these injuries, mm-hmm. which is uh, just a sad case overall. And this is an example of workplace violence, honestly, right? If if we look at the definition, so workplace violence is preventable. Had they seen the signs or even acknowledged or even allowed their employees to have any negative or quote unquote negative emotions, they may have, or even the space entertain that. They might have seen these behaviors from Britney and question it in a more like open way of like hey Britney like are things going on because I imagine she might have been short you know with them or snippy or whatever you know so I feel like if they had a space where they were able to converse, like have a conversation and, and the way media ran with this fucking story too like I, I want to make it known that it is a workplace violence that could have been prevented by the company too so they put Jaina in harm. They put their employee in harm, and this is my opinion, by saying, hey, we need one of you guys to to see her doing it. So she found out. So now Jaina or any employee that found her, that saw her do it, has a target on her back, especially with someone with a history like that, history of aggression and an anger issues. So. Yeah. Where the fuck is the media talking about how Lululemon failed to protect their employees? Nowhere, because they see an angry black woman. Yeah, I'm gonna end I'm it right there.
0: Yeah, and oh, it's just so many layers to it. And, and like all cases, it, it has its complexities. But I, I think you're right on that end, where if, if there was possible concerns of kind of merchandise going missing and which which goes to say i don't know if they were released a statement particularly about
1: this case maybe a quick google search can help us so christine day ceo lululemon athletica and i quote we are pleased to see justice done and hope that this verdict brings a small measure of peace and closure to the tragic events that occurred last march We have all been deeply affected by the loss of Jaina Murray and the violation of our safe and loving store environment. The actions of Brittany Norwood that night are, are the antithesis of the values of our company are not reflective of the outstanding people who work for Lululemon. While it has been very difficult to relive these painful events, who are so proud of our Bethesda store team and the Murray family for standing for peace, love, and justice for Jaina. We are very thankful for the hard work of the Montgomery County State's Attorney's Office, the jury, Judge Robert A. Greenberg, and Montgomery County Police Department. We continue to be grateful to the Bethesda community for their love and support of the Lululemon and Murray families throughout the challenging time. We hope this provides some peace to the Murray family and Bethesda community. When we think of Jana, we see her smile. If we hold her smile within us, we can send it to the world every time we smile so that her legacy of joy and love for life is what lives on
0: man well rest in peace jayna and it's just a sad case overall yeah
1: and and i'm just as we like uncover it more i'm like this is not an ice. i don't keep saying it's not it's not just a person murdering another person it's the toxic work environment and i think they got off easy with that that was lost in brutality of Britney's actions, because I mean, yeah, obviously there's so much more to that. A lot of stuff came up. I think with this case that I'm, I'm glad we were able to to talk about and process. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm always so awkward at the end because <laughs> I'm like,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it's like we're talking about some some of the most painful and hurtful stories for people because her family um you know survives her so when we tell these these stories it's hard to end it without feeling leaving like a little that's the word that i'm feeling saying like you're still processing it like you're in the moment like saying like how how did this happen like we read about it we we prepared for the podcast
1: i feel like that's like the therapist in us we have to like contain it to like close it up
0: <laughs> before we go and then we kind of leave it to the listener and then uh we're like okay now here's the story we told it from our perspective yeah but thank you for tuning in, folks uh, we're hoping to keep bringing you uh, cases and uh, if you have any ideas please send them over and, and please subscribe and follow us we
1: appreciate you tuning in homies Till next time, homies. Keep it real. Peace. Peace. (laughs) Thank you for joining us and be sure to come back next week where we continue to explore true crime psychology the paranormal mental health and everything in between we would love to hear from you so email us at millennialtherapistspod at gmail.com with your ghost stories paranormal experiences questions about therapy and counseling or the social work field and don't forget to share subscribe and review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts
0: remember you are valued you are enough and you are not alone please
1: subscribe and review
0: Bye-bye. Although we are licensed mental health therapists and may cover therapy-related subjects, the topics in this
1: podcast should not substitute professional, psychological, or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you are a victim of a crime which includes but not limited to stalking, human trafficking, financial crimes, or sexual assault, please know the Victim Connect Resource Center can help. They are a referral helpline where crime victims can learn about their rights and options confidentially and compassionately. A traditional telephone-based helpline is 1-855-4-VICTIM or 1-855-484-2846. Or you can connect with them at chat.victimconnect.org or at the website victimconnect.org. If you
0: or someone you know is in crisis, whether they are considering suicide or not, please call the toll-free lifeline available 24-7 across the United States by calling one 800 273 8255, or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. U.S. and Canadian listeners can also text home to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor. UK listeners text home to 85258, and Ireland listeners text home to 50808. For more mental health resources and support, international listeners can visit the website unitedgmh.org mental-health-support
1: to find more mental health services and resources. And if you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, connect with the Veteran Crisis Line to reach caring, qualified responders with the Department of Veterans Affairs at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or text 838-255. Or you can always visit veteranscrisisline.net If you or anyone you know may be experiencing domestic violence, you can find resources and support with the National Domestic Violence Hotline.
0: Visit thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233.